welcome to the Fat Emperor podcast. I'm your host, Ivor Cummins. Well, thanks a lot, Rand. That was lovely. And a big thanks to Mariella and Ariel and the whole team who invited me here some time back. <laughs> uh, this is uh, quite simply a superb conference. And it's my first time in Israel, and I love it. And I love the people. <laughs> so I, I made many new friends in the last day or two, including one guy called Amachai, who, Amachai, sorry, I got the, I got that, but um, Amachai has a LDL cholesterol that's higher than I've ever seen, or even Dr. Eric Westman has seen, which is fascinating, but we, we won't talk about values that high today, maybe at the end. So the cholesterol question, so our whole history is that high fats in the diet supposedly would raise the cholesterol, and the cholesterol in turn was a primary causal driver of atherosclerosis. So that's the diet heart hypothesis. And I'll just say I have no disclosures of a financial nature. So I'm going to show you first a public safety, very short video. I think you should all heed it. It's very important. And it's a nutritional safety video. Certain foods are high in saturated fat. This is the average amount of saturated fat a person consumes in a month. If you eat too much of this, then over time fatty deposits could build up in your arteries, and this increases your risk of heart disease. If saturated fat can clog this pipe, imagine what it's doing to yours. For ways to cut down, visit the Eat Well website. If you want the facts on food, we're the standard. Whoa, impressive. <laughs> That's an official UK video, um, and it's since been taken down from all websites. Very hard to get, but I got it for you guys. When do you think that was? You might think 1980, 1992, back in the crazy fat days. Any guesses? 2009. Hard to believe. But since then, it's been taken off uh, all websites, for obvious reasons, because they know it's a complete embarrassment. But food and heart disease and what drives heart disease has always been controversial. We have around 50 years that it's mostly fatty things, and the last 10 years it's switching over to mostly refined carb sugars, and etc., which is what it really is. Uh, but the fat fears, where do they come from? And I'm going to be very brief in the history. So we have Ansel Keys back in 61, and this is where it began to kick off, the diet heart hypothesis. In 1984, based on a drug trial, not a diet trial, but based on a drug trial with very weak results, Time put this, which is a food thing. You can't eat foods with cholesterol. And then in 2014, scientists label fat the enemy why they were wrong. So Time now is saying they're all bloody wrong. Now imagine how confusing that is for the man or woman in the street. It's absolutely outrageous. So how did it happen? I'll briefly show Key's first bit of nefarious activity, his six countries study, where he showed a beautiful relationship with higher calories from fat and death from heart disease. It's absolutely stunning. Even an engineer might be beguiled by that. 
But he had, of course, 22 countries, and this is a snip taken from our book, and you can see there's no real correlation. And the correlation with animal protein was even stronger, and sugar was there. So it was all meaningless. But why would he pick these six specific countries? What was going on with him at the time to do something so mad? I mean... <laughs> been something like that, you know, 60s, 70s, I don't, I don't know. Uh, my personal belief, and from an excellent article from Professor Noakes last week on CrossFit, is he saw the NIH money, the Institute money, was going to plough into heart disease, and he realised realized he needed a big, simple message that he was the guy with the knowledge and the solution. So I think that might have been it. But as we see from Zoe Harcombe's graphs here, actually, the reality is, higher saturated fat even, lower heart disease. Doesn't prove saturated fat's good, but it pretty much proves there's nothing there to find. And women are the same. Higher saturated fat, the French, uh, three times lower heart disease than Americans back a few decades ago, and they ate twice the saturated fat. So there's a 6x discrepancy. So it obviously doesn't mean much. So back in the 70s, you know, it was innocent and naive time, and Ansel had all his silly stuff in his head. But in 2017, modern technology, we have the Pure Study. And while Ansel had around 12,000 men only, seven countries cherry-picked, and manual analysis, possibly on the back of a cigarette packet, the Pure Study has 135K men and women, 18 countries, unbiased selection, and modern technology to do the analysis. And we see if anything saturated fat higher means lower cardiovascular disease, lower mortality. So I think this chapter is closed in history now, just based on associational alone. One last one that's amusing, the American Heart Association is the biggest hater of sat fat and cholesterol in the world. And in 2013, they did this huge report. And on around page 60, I found some interesting little snippets. They admitted that in the WHI RCT, right, reduction of total fat from 37 to 24 had no effect on the incidence of coronary heart disease stroke or total CVD. This was consistent with the null results of four prior randomized clinical trials and multiple large prospective cohort studies. Now, they're not going out advertising this, but they want to be on the right side of history, and they've nicely tucked the reality into page 60, so they can send you to it later. And similarly, each 5% higher energy consumption of carbohydrate in place of saturated fat associates with a 7% higher risk of coronary heart disease. So they're kind of admitting the reality quietly. So I'm going to switch tack now. How do you properly assess the extent of heart disease in a human? Because we can have outcome studies, but if we want to look at what factors are important, we want to be able to assess people without them dying in a very accurate manner. And I'm going to introduce you to coronary artery calcification, which is an engineering level measure, and many of you will have heard me talk of it before. So this study from Mayo Clinic was great. It showed that no matter what age you were, right? A low score meant a very low 10-year event rate, regardless of age. Now, age is the biggest risk factor bar none. It's the biggest driver in the risk algorithms. Obviously, as you get much older, your risks go through the roof, but coronary calcium completely bypasses. 
If you're a high score, up to 100, you have three to five times the risk, regardless of age. And if you have a very high score, you have 20 times the risk of an event, regardless of age. To emphasize, a 50-year-old getting a high score, and there's millions of them out there, and they don't know it until they drop, that person has around 20 times the risk of a 70 or 80-year-old with a zero score in the following 10 years. So that kind of says it all. Any engineer looking at this will say, where do I get one of those? Obviously, right? But the industry fights back against it. Uh, David Bobbitt, my sponsor, uh, set up the Irish Heart Disease Awareness. I'd love it if you could proliferate that site, ihda.ie, and get the message out to save the people. But he spent $5 million over seven years because he got this score, and he found out how insane it was that this test is not being used. And he also found out he was diabetic, undiagnosed, very diabetic. So that was another story. Final one I'll just show you is a popular one, but all the studies say the same thing. As your higher score goes up, you're up to 20 or 25 times more likely. Hypertension, you might be 1.7 times more likely in the next 10 years to have a heart event. Calcium blows away. So, cholesterol. <clears throat> We're going to move to cholesterol from fat, right? Bad and good, apparently. And I think of it as killer cholesterol, because if we're honest, for the last 50 years, we've been indoctrinated with cholesterol being the primary driver of, of cardiovascular disease. And it's in all of our heads now. So even when you understand that that's not really true, you still instinctively fear cholesterol, because many of us have had this since birth, okay? So I gave a talk back in 14, it's on YouTube for people if they want to go through the detailed mechanisms of why cholesterol is not really a cause and how the lipoprotein transport system works. So that's useful, if some, but we can't do that today. This guy where did a clever thing. He went out and got all the human studies where they had the calcification results, which is the ultimate measure of heart disease, but they also had LDL and cholesterol from the people in the study. And essentially, he got 21 studies, and he asked 21 why questions. Because for every study, he had to ask, why does the level of arterial disease in the people, as measured by calcification, not correlate with LDL or total cholesterol? Now, they're good questions. Because how on earth could a primary factor never correlate with the outcome it's supposedly driving at all? Good question. I won't pull out many of them, but one, familial hypercholesterolemia is the poster child for the cholesterol hypothesis. They have high cholesterol, they also have high clotting factors and many other things, but it's focused the high cholesterol and their higher level of disease. But when you look in the studies, and I have seven of them, the familial hypercholesterolemia guys who go out at 38 with a big heart attack, versus the FH guys, same problem, who are 65 with no disease really at all, they have the same cholesterol, they have the same LDL, pretty much universally. So even there, it, the high LDL is not predicting the event, okay? This Heinz Nixdorf, I think, is quite useful, a very uh, good study, and they track progression over six or seven years of calcification. And you can see from their data that for people with low CAC right up to super high CAC, this is massive disease going to the right, 
That was the LDL data. So essentially, these two guys have pretty much the same LDL, but utterly different levels of disease. So you see this everywhere as well. Blood pressure in Nixdorf and diabetes, even though that gets undermeasured, at least did, of course, correlate, as you would expect, because most blood pressure idiopathic is hyperinsulinemia-driven, and diabetes, of course, is hyperinsulinemia, insulin resistance type 2. So that just validated. Framingham, everyone knows about Framingham Heart Study running since 1948. This was the big one to look at cholesterol. A very interesting thing was that William P. Costelli, the Framingham director, I found a published study from 96 that he published, and this quote, unless LDL levels are very high, 300 milligrams for LDL or higher, they have no value in isolation of predicting individuals who have future events. That's an enormous admission, right? So LDL is a dependent variable. It correlates, but whether or not it predicts a, an event depends totally on whether you have a real issue under the hood. And he knew it. He also knew that the total over the HDL ratio was a far better predictor of coronary heart disease than any of the measures not only in Framingham, but in the Physician's Health Study and many other studies, and that is true to this day, and the risk algorithms use that ratio. But Castelli didn't know why, in fairness. Broadly speaking, the reason why is that insulin resistance and hyperinsulinemia at that pathological state drives cardiovascular disease and endothelial dysfunction like nothing else, and it also decreases HDL, and increase the small dense LDL. And there's data to suggest that in younger men where LDL is a very good predictor of heart disease, in younger men the high insulin will promote cholesterol synthesis and, and higher LDL particles. So this is really driving the bus, broadly speaking. And this is one I mentioned in the debate yesterday, which I, I hope you all enjoyed, uh, <laughs> that, with that rather fine gentleman down at the end. But these risk algorithms are crucially important, and I know it was said, well, this is an individual, but the risk algorithms represent everyone, including people like this. 50-year-old male with cholesterol over 300, LDL over 190. That is a walking heart attack to most doctors. Fair enough. But what if you put in his numbers such that he's not insulin resistant? And the way you do it is you put in a reasonable HDL, no hypertension, no type 2 diabetes, and you can put in no family history as well, a couple other things. But you leave him with just a massive LDL. Comes out at low risk. That's non-medication, 10-year risk. It's low risk. And that's in these calculators. If the guy is smart enough to get a calcium scan at middle age, which you should do, and gets a zero, which many will, then he comes out in the AstroCharm and MISA, which take the calcium score, you put in the zero, at ultra-low risk. And just to emphasize, 1% is the lowest risk on the planet. You can't go below 1. I don't think the algorithm really lets you go much below 1. So LDL is an utterly dependent variable. It does partake in the atherosclerotic milieu, but it's dependent on real problems being present. 
It's better to solve the right problem approximately than to solve the wrong problem exactly. And I think solving the cholesterol problem has been that. You know, you're better off doing a half-assed effort at resolving your diabetic dysfunction or many other things than on running after your cholesterol. And I know that's in contrast to what was said yesterday when Dr. Westman suggested, why not do the diabetes? But, but that's the world we live in. So I'll take this image which Jeff used yesterday. The world's been focusing on cholesterol and the opportunity cost is enormous because it's taken focus off the real deal. And it's a huge problem and many people will have suffered due to this. Here's my short list simplified of top drivers for cardiovascular disease. Hyperinsulin and insulin resistance state and blood glucose, particularly postprandial spikes, would be the big one, but not the only one. We've got a lot of other things here that are worthy of listing, for sure. LDL can't make it on, though, because it's a dependent variable. It's too far down. This study from mathematicians kind of made the point beautifully so they went through the last 40 or 50 years of all the cholesterol trials and a load of other human trials and they said let's put all the data in a big model and find out what's the Pareto stack, what's the most important thing in heart disease and, and how did they rate. So what they found is if hyperinsulin insulin resistance was resolved for everyone to be a 42% reduction in fatal and non-fatal heart attacks. So that's the big cheese. And that's nice, that makes sense. But what they didn't quite realize or say, they split out systolic blood pressure, HDL being low, and BMI as the next three biggest, each with a substantial contribution. But what they didn't acknowledge was, these are all states that are intimately related to the top one, to hyperinsulin. So you could nearly look at that whole block as relating to hyperinsulin, insulin resistance, or what drives it. Be it, be it an infection, be it lupus, whatever. But look at it. And they give 16 to LDL. But as I mentioned, LDL gets gifted with a correlation based on insulin resistance for, to a large extent. So it kind of got that as a freebie. But it gives the scale of the problem. Last study, I think, guys, these men had a heart attack and they followed them for seven years to see what would best predict the second event. This is important. People have a heart attack are compromised. You really don't want a second one. High total cholesterol, high LDL, bad cholesterol, null. There was no predictive value of either for the second heart attack. High blood pressure, most of which idiopathic hypertension is related to insulin, doubled your risk if you had high blood pressure during the seven years. And high insulin? came out with a sweet seven, right? So again, this is associational, but it illustrates the point in the relative importance of these different quotients. And this is the last one I got from Dr. Goodmunder in Iceland, a pal of mine last week, and I had not got this study, and it's 2004. What you'll see is that people with super high LDL over 160, now they might average like 190, 200, but over 160, you can see that their mortality curve is the same as the other lines up here, who are low cholesterol people. However, the people with high cholesterol in this group, they had a big problem. This is where high LDL sometimes told you something. What was the difference? These people had transferrin saturation below 55%, and these people were above, indicating iron-loading problems 
iron oxidizing cholesterol particles, etc., etc. You see the exact same for ferritin, right, an indication of iron loading. You see the same when you striate for insulin resistance. So every time LDL tells you something, it's because of something else under the hood. So that makes it not an engineering measurement. And it was the same for cardiovascular disease mortality, exact same thing. The LDL only mattered when something really important was at play. So hyperinsulin, insulin resistance beyond epidemic. Uh, I got the data from CDC. 64% of US adults over 45 are now essentially diabetic. They're pre-diabetic or diabetic. If you used insulin measurement, probably 75. So this is huge. It's just enormous. Uh, it's crazy. Dr. Joseph Kraft, that Jeff mentioned, we interviewed him, and in the 70s, he did 15,000 people and developed the perfect test for diabetes. He was a great man. He made this statement from all his learnings. Those with cardiovascular disease not identified with diabetes are simply undiagnosed. Now, that would really annoy a lipidologist. <laughs> in fact, a cardiologist, anyone. Now, it's a strong statement that all heart disease pertains in some fashion to underlying diabetic dysfunction. But let's test them. The Euroaspire study was extremely important in 2015. And what they took was ages 18 to 80, 24 European countries, they got all the coronary heart disease patients as a group. And they said, let's look at their uh, glucose right, and their glycemia, let's see what's going on. So straight away they realized that a third of them were full-blown type 2. Oops, okay, so diabetes is huge in heart disease. But then they took out the 4,004 non-diabetic, non-type 2 diabetic victims, and they looked at their glucose. A third of those were full-blown diabetics. Another third, they used a euphemism, they said high risk for diabetes, but believe me, they were diabetic, no question about it. And the remaining third, the last little sliver, they didn't use insulin. So you're going to miss all the diabetics in there without insulin. So if you roll it up, over three quarters were frankly type 2 diabetic. Even though Europe only has around 5 or 6% diabetes, 76% of heart disease victims are diabetic. And these ones, we don't know. But we should be using insulin. So Kraft can take a bow. He wasn't 100% right, but he was close enough for me. Okay. Now, we don't, won't do any more on cholesterol. Um, I have given talks, including Denver, and you can Google them, and I go through why the cholesterol particles go through the multiple layers into the intimal space and how cholesterol is part of atherosclerosis. And just briefly, I'll, I'll give a spoiler. Every single layer that mediates or decides that the cholesterol particles will become a problem in your intima is governed by all of my risk factors, pretty much. They open and close the gates. So angiotensin II, you know, tumor necrosis factor alpha, oxidative stress, high insulin, insulin resistance, all of those things have been shown in the science to open the doors to this happening. So that's why cholesterol is a dependent variable. It's dependent on a real problem, making it part of the problem, in a nutshell. So back to fat fears, and we'll, we'll do the final sequence. Fear of fat. Closing statements. 
How did Dr. Kraft, I just showed you, fix people with diabetes back in 72? He took people with super high insulin in his test, pure diabetics, and in eight months, he had them down to pattern five, low insulin, non-diabetic. And he used low-carb diets back in 72. And he didn't tell anyone or he didn't cause a fuss because he knew there was a huge amount of controversy around diets, so he just fixed them quietly, you know, in his office. But now we know why. So this paper is uh, Professor Jeff Volokh. I think, Steve, you're on it too. I'm not sure. This is a slide from a while back. And basically the point made is the impact of restricting dietary fat versus carb on risk factors. So essentially the low-fat diets we've had for 50 years were targeted at LDL concentration. You all know that. They picked the wrong winner. They targeted that. Does LDL concentration targeting, targeting it specifically and chemically, does it really address the drivers of disease? Well, no, it, it doesn't. I mean, that's patently apparent. The drugs lower LDL and they lower events through pleiotropic mechanisms, but the LDL itself is the wrong place to focus. That's why we've had 50 years of, of failure in dietary guidelines. However, what if you acted like an engineer and targeted the key measures the really important measures that I mentioned yesterday, inflammatory measures and, you know, ApoB over ApoA1 and glucose, insulin, you know, and, and sensitivity. You'd find that keto and low carb have been proven in the literature to target all of these to a greater or lesser extent, most pleasingly. And that means that keto and low carb generally should be the default diet for these problems just based on the mechanisms and the proven fact that keto and low-carb addresses what you want to bloody address, I would say. Verta have demonstrated, Kraft was 72, Verta last year came out with a big one, I think around 400 people, you probably know about it, 94% off their meds or reduced, 60% in remission, uh, from diabetes by their A1C, and just a fantastic result over a single year with keto diets and app support, right? So that addresses our problem. This nice little one from Volokh, and I don't know if you're on this one, Steve, but anyway, uh, American military have a huge problem with obesity and lack of fitness, but they went in and got a bunch of guys, split them in half, keto diet versus normal fare. And what they essentially got in, I think, three months, visceral fat came down nearly 50%. That's the important indicator, much more important than subcutaneous. But they also lost body fat and weight. The insulin resistance, and I've approximated here, came down around 30%, and nothing happened in the other guys, or maybe it went up. So this is clearly a perfect intervention for your biggest problem in the Western world right now, which is hyperinsulinemia, insulin resistance. And this one is interesting, and the final one, APOE4 people, I'm APOE4, my wife is APOE4, one of my sons is double E4, so that's 10 to 15 times the risk of Alzheimer and heart disease in the future, but luckily he knows. Um, but E4 is an old genome, very susceptible to modern poisonous foods and environments, so they're very exposed. So this guy was young, I think he was only in his late 40s, and they went in with a keto diet, and he had a lot of problems. In a few months, they had reduced his insulin resistance HOMA index by nearly 90%, his fasting insulin by 90%, 
His trig over HDL, which is a proxy for insulin resistance, 55%. A1C down 30% went to non-diabetic, okay? And his MOCA cognitive score went up to normal, and this is a validated cognitive test. Just look at that result for that guy. N equals one, but we've got tons of studies coming out now, more N equals ones all over the world, and we're also hopefully going to get an outcome trial, but they're hard to do and no one wants to fund them. So I'm gonna finish with a caveat. To be honest, Irish Heart Disease Awareness and myself are most concerned about the most at risk. And there is some evidence that people who have the A4 genotype, who have sustained metabolic damage and extensive calcification over years of eating bad diets, they may end up in a situation with a sensitivity to cheeses, possibly the casein um, A2, and maybe rich animal fats and protein may now be a little provocative for their systems that are damaged. So anyone who wants to find out on 23andMe, am I APOE4? And if you get a high score or you're worried, this is a good resource to go and, and, and learn about that potential problem. Uh, and with that though, I'm, um, yeah, I think I'm done. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in guys. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see my subscribe button in the middle of the screen and go to extratimemovie.com to see our fascinating new documentary on stopping and reversing heart disease.